morning, everyone. Um, I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, I feel a little bit out of place without a blue shirt. I, there must have been some kind of clearance or something going on. I'm not sure how, quite how this happened, but uh, you all look good. It's wonderful. It's just a sea of blue from up here. Um, so Pastor Tim is out of town this morning. He is on vacation, so I have the pleasure of delivering the sermon this morning. Um, some of you were with us uh, beginning of this year in January when I did um, adult Sunday school, and we did a study on the book of Philippians. Well, there is a passage in the book of Philippians that really jumped out at me that I want to spend some more time with. Um, so uh, if you were with us during that class, some of this will be familiar to you, but um, there was a passage in Philippians 2, which I just didn't think I got to spend enough time with in our uh, just our broad overview of the book of Philippians. So we're going to spend some quality time there this morning. But before we begin, let us open in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that we can gather together this morning to worship you. On this Father's Day, we thank you for the fathers in our lives and just thank you for the ways that they lead and serve their families. I pray that you bless the fathers here this morning, give them strength and wisdom to lead their families. Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we come to your word this morning, you prepare us to receive this message. As we look at how you desire unity, I just pray that we desire unity as well. We are broken, sinful people tempted by our own selfish desires. Only because of the work of your Son do we have hope. I pray that we focus on Christ and pursue him. In Jesus' name, amen. So our passage this morning is Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Feel free to turn there. Um, but before we uh, examine our passage, I just want to give you some background on the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Paul wrote in response to the church, sending him support and encouragement by way of one of its members. As Paul writes his letter to the church in Philippi, he develops two main themes. The first of these themes is Paul's thanks for the faithfulness of the Philippians. Paul expresses his thanks not only for their most recent support, but for their, th uh, for their fa continued faithfulness to God and to the gospel. We can see Paul express this sentiment in chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, where he writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. This theme of thankfulness runs throughout Paul's letter to the church in Philippi and is one of his key motivations for writing to them. Paul not only desires to thank the church in Philippi, but also to encourage them to continue to pursue Christ. This leads us to the second theme that Paul develops, the centrality of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul emphasizes the importance of keeping Christ at the center of the Philippians' faith, their church, and their lives. We see this message of the centrality of Christ not only in Paul's instruction to the church, but also in his own life as well. Paul writes in verse 21 of the first chapter of Philippians, one of the most recognized verses in the New Testament. 
He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now in this verse, there is a whole other sermon that could be given, but today I just want to briefly reference it to emphasize how central Christ was to Paul's life. We see this theme of Christ's centrality developed through several passages that instruct the Philippians to be more Christ-like. Paul's goal is to push a healthy church further and further to Christ, and further and further to Christ-likeness. And this is where we come to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Please turn with me to our passage this morning. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God our Father." As we look at the text, we see that Paul is developing an argument here. He writes, so if there is any encouragement in love, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul is making an if-then argument. He's telling the Philippians that if they have this one thing, then they should have this other thing as well. Paul asks the Philippians if they have encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, and any sympathy. As we examine this list, we see that it is describing fruit of faithful Christians and a faithful church. Those who are faithful will have encouragement from Christ, as Paul writes. They will also have comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, and affection and sympathy. The passage we read earlier as we were looking at the background of the book of Philippians uh, uh, demonstrates um, some of these qualities that Paul is talking about. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, and it references several of the things in this list. As we study Paul's argument, we can see that this opening if statement is in a way rhetorical because we know the Philippian church was faithful and had the fruit that Paul is listing. We briefly examined his purpose for writing the letter to the Philippian church, and we saw that they were faithful, and they were demonstrating these things. In light of this, we understand that Paul is really saying since they are faithful, and not just if. Now let's continue Paul's argument. He writes, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. As we examine the second list, we see that it is describing unity among believers, unity in the church, 
People who are unified will have the same mind as Paul writes. They will also have the same love. They share the same foundation in a sense. They are in full accord, as Paul says. I believe we can summarize Paul's argument this way. If, or even since, the Philippians are faithful, then they should be unified. I find this argument quite interesting because Paul clearly sees a need to instruct the Philippian church to be unified, even though they are faithful. What Paul recognizes is that believers constantly face pressure from within and pressure from without that threatens unity. He is warning the Philippian church not to become complacent, but to be always aware of the things that can separate them. In the following verse, Paul identifies the key to unity and two things that can lead to disunity. He writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul is warning that the two things that can separate the Philippian church are selfish ambition and conceit. Now the reality is selfish ambition and conceit are two things that all Christians struggle with. That is because they are symptoms of our old fallen flesh. The battle between our old fallen flesh and our redeemed self is constantly being waged. And our old flesh tempts us to place ourselves first, to put our needs and our interests above the interests of others, as Paul writes. As the church faces temptations of selfish ambition and conceit, Paul commands the Philippians instead to be humble. The key to, to unity is humility. If selfish ambition and conceit are symptoms of the earthly flesh, then humility is the antidote. What does humility look like? Paul writes uh, in verse 4 saying, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Humility is quite simply placing God and others before ourselves. As I was preparing my sermon, I found several studies that looked at church conflict. And these studies line up with Paul's warnings about our own interests. If these studies are to be believed, over 95% of church conflict involves interpersonal issues. Let me put that another way. Less than 5% of all church conflict involves church doctrine. That means we are far more likely to disagree over our own personal interests and opinions than what we believe. But is that really surprising? We are broken and fallen people. And even though we are believers that have been redeemed by Christ, we still struggle with sin. And that sin tempts us, just as Paul warns, to put our own interests first at the expense of others and at the expense of unity. Each one of us should carefully heed this warning this morning. However, Paul does not only just leave us with this warning, but he continues his instruction in the next verse. In verse 5, Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now notice that Paul is telling the Philippians what kind of mindset he needs, they need to have. And as we look back at verse 2 of this passage, we see that Paul uses the phrase being of the same mind twice to describe unity. And now Paul is using Christ as the example of this mindset that he wants the Philippians to have. 
Paul writes, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now this is a very theologically heavy passage, and there are many points that could be made from it. But the point I want to make this morning is that Christ is our ultimate example. He is the example Paul uses to demonstrate the mindset that we should have. And this is because we have no better place to look for someone who lived with humility other than our Lord Jesus himself. As we look at this passage, I want to focus on two specific parts of Christ's humility. Christ was humble by being obedient and by being sacrificial. Paul writes that Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Christ, as the text says, was, very, was in the very form of God, but in humility did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In obedience to God and for the sake of those he came to save, for believers like you and me, he became as a servant. Let me say that again. Jesus, the Son of God, became a servant to save those who were lost by sacrificing himself. This is the, this is the mindset Paul instructs the Philippians to have, the mindset that we need to have. How foolish our selfish ambitions and our own interests look compared to the humility of Christ. We are instructed to be sacrificial and obedient, just as Christ was. We need to lay down our own lives, just as Christ did. Christ is the ultimate example, and Paul is instructing the Philippians to be more Christ-like. Finally, Paul ends this passage by writing, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As I prepared for the sermon, I had to spend some extra time in this final part of the passage. And as I studied verses 6 through 11, I really developed a great appreciation for them. If you look at these verses in your own Bible, you may notice that some translations have them formatted differently. They're formatted in a way that puts them maybe off to the side a little bit, and they're formatted in the way that the Bible often formats poetry. And that is because scholars believe that these last couple verses were a confession or a song of the early church. Now, when you think of a confession, maybe you think of someone uh, confessing to wrongdoing. Maybe you think of a criminal confessing to the crimes that they've committed. When I think of it, I think of a child confessing to something they did. This being Father's Day, I'm sure this is something that each one of us knows. And this picture, I believe, is appropriate when we think about biblical confession. In a way, that is what we are doing. When we confess that Christ is Lord, we confess that we are not the lords of our own lives. In fact, we confess that we are sinners who are tempted by our own selfish interests. And as Paul writes, we confess that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A confession, in a way, is a summary of the gospel. It's a summary of what we believe. And this confession is the foundation of our faith. The cross is at the center of what we believe, and for unity to happen, we must lay our own selfish interests and desires at the foot of the cross. If Christ is our example, how can we do anything less? Again, Paul is encouraging each one of us to pursue Christ, to pursue Christ-likeness. We must not let sin pull us apart. Instead, we must pursue Christ because he's the only thing that holds us together. Christ is the foundation that unity must be built upon. Apart from him, the church cannot stand. The book of Philippians has been incredibly encouraging to me. Again, some of you may have been with us as we studied the book of Philippians earlier this year. And as I deliver this message this morning, I look out and I see a faithful church, just as Paul saw the faithfulness of the Philippians. God has blessed this congregation, and your hunger for the Word and for Jesus Christ himself is plainly seen. I say these things not to puff anyone up or to boast about accomplishments. I only want to make the observation that just as, saw, as Paul saw this call for unity necessary for the church in Philippi, how critical it must be for our church here in Stratford. I fervently desire that you take this message to heart. You must fight the temptation of selfish ambition and the temptation to pursue your own interests at the, in, at the expense of others. I pray for unity. I pray that we not only desire unity, but that we diligently practice the things that Paul has instructed. We can only be unified by practicing humility and following Christ's example. He must be the foundation of our lives, our church, and our unity. Again, we are called to follow the example of Christ. That is one of Paul's main points of writing the book of Philippians. Again, not only to thank the Philippians for their faithfulness, but to remind them that we must never lose sight of Christ. That with everything we are, we must pursue him. Christ is our example of humility. And again, humility is the key to unity. If we, Community Bible Church, want to be unified and want to stand together, we must keep Christ as our example and let him be the foundation that our church is built upon. We must live humbly, just as Christ did, being sacrificial and obedient. Again, we must be sacrificial, laying our own selfish desires aside for the needs of others. Now, Paul is not saying that we need to uh, ignore our interests completely. But as he, he writes in the passage, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, I believe this is the key to unity in the church. Do not foolishly fall into temptation of pursuing your own interests. Again, as Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. And finally, Paul's encouragement to the Philippians um, is true for us as well. 
Each one of us must continue to pursue Christ with all that we have. He is our Lord, our example, and our foundation. Or as the song, as we are going to sing here at the end of the service, says, He is our rock and our redeemer. When we pursue Christ, all else falls away. Only on this common ground, in this confession, is unity found. Only in Christ are we unified. Please join me as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that we pursue Christ with all that we have. On him may our church be built. May this message not quickly pass from us. Father, as we see the example of your son, the way he lived sacrificially and obedient to you, Father, I just pray that each one of us look at that example and works to make that true in our own lives as well. Father, I pray that we are unified. May we put away our own selfishness and follow the example set by your Son. I pray that together we proclaim the words written by the Apostle Paul. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we know that one day every tongue will confess that you are Lord. But Father, in the years we have until that time, in the decades or centuries, I just pray that each one of us continues to pursue after Christ, that we diligently follow him and that we are obedient to you in all that we do. Father, I just, again, pray for unity. I pray that our church is built on Christ alone, because only through him can we be unified. In your son's name, amen.